Good morning, everyone. Amen. Welcome to First Word this morning. Why don't you do this? Why don't you just reach across the aisle, shake somebody's hand, tell them how good they look this morning. When you're done with that person, go to the other person, tell them they look better than the last person you told that to. Amen. Amen. It's good to be in first word. Amen. You know, I do want to say, uh, you know, sometimes I have the privilege of being out with our youth, or sometimes I'm in here, so I don't catch all of our lessons, but the ones that I have been involved in have been phenomenal. And even just from an organizational standpoint, I really like the just our stance with it and kind of how we do it. I think they're 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 great. Um, I was considering, though, you know, I'm lucky, and I'm not sure who taught the first part of this series, so I'm not trying to shun you. I, I was back there in the back. Sean. Okay. Well, obviously, that was great. But then the second person, I believe, was Sister Nikki, and then our third was Sister Tara. And so I'm, I'm lucky in some ways because, obviously, we've taught really good subject material, but I'm unlucky in some ways now that you have a good comp to go off of. And so we're just going to pray it kind of goes the way it needs to be. But when you talk about forgiveness, well, what does that entail? You know, that could be a weightier subject. It could be a lighter subject, depending on what side of the aisle that you're on, if you need to be forgiven or if you're trying to do the forgiving. Um, but Matthew 6 and 14, and I think it's been kind of repeated over the last couple of weeks, it says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So the reality of it this morning is this, and it's really quite simple, is that forgiveness is mandatory. That's it. That's just, if you just want to skip to the chase, get to the point of the matter, you have to forgive. Now, the option in this is we have the choice to forgive. Now, at the end of the day... When you live your life, if you're going to make up in your mind to live for God, well, you have the choice to do a lot of things. You can make up in your mind, I'm going to live for God or I'm not going to serve God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And at the end of the day, you can't control what other people do. And I believe spiritual maturity or spiritual growth at the, end, at, at, at the very conclusion of things is realizing that you can only control yourself. Now, Brother Price has told me something in the last couple of years, and it's something I've really taken to heart is that life is just life. And at the end of the day, you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days. You're going to have people that overreact to things. You're going to have people that you think, well, they probably should have reacted more to this. You're going to have different situations and trials, but at the end of everything, the only person that you can control is you. That's, the only, that's, that's, that's really the, to the extent of your power. Now, that's both good and bad, because if you can only control you, I promise you, you're going to have some things in life that you want to go back and change. Now, maybe you're better than me. Maybe you do everything right. But sometimes I wish I could go back in life and just hit a reset button. Okay. Whether that was a day ago. Okay. I wish I could do some, some things a little bit different yesterday. Whether it was a week ago. I wish I could do things a little bit differently then or a year or whatever else. But unfortunately in life, we are not gained, or maybe fortunately, we don't have the privilege of going back in time and changing things. Okay. Now, when you talk about 
forgiveness, oftentimes it can be a weightier topic, but I was considering, some of you know Mark and Rhett Melton. For those of you who don't, Mark, Mark Melton pastors a church in Little Rock, and his son, Rhett Melton, me, are relatively close. He's the hyphen director over Arkansas Youth, and I have had the privilege of getting to know Rhett for the last couple of years. And if you know Rhett Melton, or if you don't, let me just give you some background information. Rhett Melton is a very calm, very reserved, very stoic individual, okay? I've said in meetings with him, the dude doesn't get worked up, okay? I've said in meetings where somebody says something kind of tense, and Rhett Melton, complete, just blank stare. I've said in church with him. Now, he'll worship, but for the most part, Rhett Melton's going to be the same everywhere he goes. The only time that Rhett Melton ever really gets worked up is when we go bow hunt in Kansas, okay? Once we cross that state line going into Sedan, there's something in Rhett's eyes that change for the price. There's something, the hair stands up on the back of his neck, and you can tell this guy is here, and he, he means business. So much to the point that a couple of years ago, we were out there, and Rhett, he was driving through a creek. We, 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 we were on our way to hunt that night, and his truck broke down in the creek. And obviously, he was just going to pass right through it, but light was starting to fade. We only had a couple of hours, and... I, I, if, if I remember correctly, it was starting to rain, so water was starting to rise. So, you know, you would think the sane individual would just say, okay, I'm going to call it quits tonight. It's starting to get dark. My phone's about to, his phone battery was only like on 10%. I need to call and get help because we're out in the middle of nowhere, okay? I need to get this truck out of this creek. Well, what does Rhett do? Well, you know, we were looking off to a certain way, and we kind of turned around. Well, Rhett had already strapped on his bow, his backpack, and he had his phone with his hunt stand app on, and he was marching through the woods. Because that's what Red Melton does. If he's in Kansas, he's going to go hunt. So his mind changes when he's over there. But for the most part, he's very you know, laid back or whatever else. But a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go with him. I believe it was two weeks now. We went up there. We had to set up some deer feeders and set up some, you know, just some, some food plots and things like that. And the whole trip, God bless him, Red was... Just very chill. And when we went to leave Kansas, and I promise all this is going to make sense here in a minute. I'm not just going on a tangent about Kansas. But when we were leaving, we were loading our stuff in the truck, and Sean, I looked at Red's tires on the side of his truck, and I was like, Red, those tires are pretty slim, man. And, you know, now I'm not a guy that has perfect tires, okay? I go as long as I can, okay? So I'm not saying I was holier than thou in tire, in tire tread, okay? But I was like, Red, I'm not sure if we're going to make it home. He's like, oh, yeah, well, we'll be fine. It doesn't matter, Clay. And so, okay, man, whatever. It's not my truck. You know, he invited me. So we got in the truck. We drove for two hours, and lo and behold, we get to Fort Smith. And you know what happens? Well, I was right, and the truck started shaking very bad. And I think we had a blowout. He's like, oh, okay. You know, again, does not matter. And we pull over. I open the door, and I smelt the burnt rubber. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know. Okay, Rhett, we got to change this. And, of course, it wasn't that big of a deal, 30, I was thinking 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever. We can get this done. And we got out, and because we're real men, it ended up taking us two hours to lower the spare. Now, there, there, there was a reason before I get mouth, okay? The thing was stripped, and there was, just a, there was a lot mechanically wrong with this truck. So it didn't really function how it needed to, okay? And so... We were trying to lower it. It wouldn't lower. The bolt was stripped, and 
you know, Rhett does not get in a hurry when he's getting his tools, and it's, it's the hottest day of the year to this point, okay? Uh, we pulled over, 18-wheelers are probably from us, the end of the altar, you know, going by, and eventually, you know, the spare was a, the, uh, right underneath the truck, and eventually how we got it down is I crawled underneath it, and I was doing my best to, like, bear hug the tire, and I was trying to kind of roll it off, right? Because every once in a while, we would get it to drop a little bit, get it to drop a little bit more, and, you know, Red, of course, he's not going to get on the ground. He's out there. And so he's trying to lower it, whatever else. And I'm like, Red, this is not working, okay? We're not making any progress on this. It's been two hours. We got to get this going. So why did he have a grinder in the back seat of his truck? I don't know. But thank God it was there because, Brother Jerry, we used it. So we got a grinder out, and we cut the metal that was holding that tire, and we dropped it. It about smashed my face when it did. But we dropped it. And so it's 90 degrees, we drop this tire. I, you know, at this point, I'm not really frustrated at him, but, but, but I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm like, all right, let's get this show on the road. This is not supposed to be that hard. And so we got this tire, we got the other one off. I thought, okay, we're, we're right there. And lo and behold, what happens? We get this tire up and the rim size does not fit. Now, why do you have a rim, a spare? I mean, how does that even happen? You know, it comes... It's manufactured like that, you know? I can only blame the cheapness of the truck, you know? But we got it off, and okay, it doesn't fit. So at this point, you know, I'm, I'm not ticked at him. I'm like, all right, man, we got, we got to get this show on the road. So we call another guy with a Pollard out of Fort Smith. He's another guy we know. And we spend the next two hours driving around Fort Smith. We went to the Fort Smith church and trying to find this spare that had the right dimensions and whatever else. And... Uh, and we ended up driving to this poor guy's house at 9 o'clock who, by the grace of God, Brother Eric, he had this tire that fit, okay? And it was the right rim size. It wasn't really the exact right tire size. So when we eventually did get it put on, it was kind of wobbling, but it, but it fit. So we drove all the way back. And on the way back, Rhett gets a call. And for whatever reason, and there's nothing wrong with it, he starts talking about the NBA lottery picks or something with one of his buddies. And that, that's fine. We're on our way back out there, right? We're not doing anything. But we stop, and, I, you know, I get out, and I'm, I'm kind of just numb to this point, right? I didn't sleep good the night before. I'm tired. I'm hot. I'm sweaty. I'm frustrated. So I get out this tire. I roll it all the way over there. I yank the other tire back off. I put it back on. And, you know, it's not incredibly difficult, but it's pitch black, there's 18-wheelers still going right by, and I'm, one, and I'm trying to get this tire underneath here to make sure it's all aligned, and it dawns on me, well, where is Rhett Melton? This is his truck. And I'm underneath, and like, I look over, and I can still see it in my mind because it's hilarious. He's, he's leaning against the truck, and he's kind of leaning, and he has his phone out, and he's like, man, I just don't know who's going to go first in the NBA. And I'm like, what in the world, you know? Like, maybe I'm out of touch, but is that really the time? Is that really the place to be talking about the NBA when I'm working on your truck, when I told you about the tire before we left? And I look at my Rhett, and I kind of snapped. Is this appropriate right now? And Rhett, again, stop. oh, okay, bro. And he, kinda, he just kind of hangs up. I fixed the tire and, you know, I, I load it, and we get in the truck, and we're on, and eventually, I just told Red, because he, he was he's wanting to talk to Brother, 
Brother Taylor looked, and I was like, right, just get in the passenger seat. I'm going to drive us the rest of the way, because I got, I got another hour to drive after we get to Little Rock. And at this point, it's going to be 1.30. And we got in the truck, and at that point, I probably wasn't entirely what I needed to be, okay? And the AC started blowing. I cooled down, you know, and eventually, you know, and even though I don't think Rhett took any offense to that, and I would say anything I said here in front of him, because really it was funny. We, we laughed about it, okay? He got a splinter in his eye from grinding it, so I think we're even. But <laughs> we were driving home, and I said, Rhett, I want to let you know, man, I'm sorry if I snapped at you out there. I, I really am. I don't know why you're talking about the NBA, right? So was I really sincere? But I said, Rhett, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry this happened. Now you say, how does that deal with forgiveness? Well, oftentimes we have heavier examples. That kind of gives you a lighter example. No, do I think me and Rhett were really worked up each other? Obviously not. But even when we got in the truck, I could tell the air was kind of tense. And I could tell our friendship, even though it was lighter, even though it was on a minute scale, there was some kind of separation there. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, oftentimes when we do something wrong, we have guilt, right? Maybe I'm the only one, but what does guilt produce? Separation, right? There was one study that said a psychiatrist estimated that 70% of people in mental wards could be released today if they knew how to let go of their guilt. Okay, guilt produces separation. Isaiah 59 and 2 says it like this, but your iniquities, your sins have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Another translation says this, but there is a problem. Your sins have cut you off from God. Because of your sin, he has turned you away and will not listen anymore. Another translation says, sins are a roadblock between you and your God. That's why he doesn't answer your prayers or let you see his face. So what sin does is there's, there's, or when an offense happens, there's one of two things that occurs. One it cuts you off from God. It cuts you off from the side of God. And what does it do afterwards? Well, it cuts you off from the voice of God, or it cuts you off from the Lord hearing you. See, Paul tells us that a good conscience and what we do when offenses come, okay, when we mess up, when we have sins, we have iniquities, he says it like this, cling tightly to your faith in Christ and always keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciousness as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. So this thing called guilt, this thing called offenses, whether it's small, whether it's big, obviously things build up over time. Second Samuel 11 and 12, we all know the story of David with uh, Beth Sheba. But in a time when kings went out to war in that day, David made the decision, you know what, I'm going to stay back and I'm not going to do what I need to do. So he falls into sin, he falls into offense, and... At the end of the day, we're not really focusing about the sin in this particular uh, lesson this morning, but we focus on what happens afterwards. Because obviously David was met with tremendous guilt, and we don't have time, but his family was tore apart. He had a, he had a child that passed away. Obviously David had wronged. But then in Psalms 51 and uh, chapter 51, verse, or Psalms 51, verse 1 through 3, uh, or in verse 10, forgive me, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me again the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. 
So with guilt, with, with offenses, with guilt, we, we have to always have the conscious effort. And this is, this is what I really love about the Bible, is that there are normal people. There are normal people with everyday trials, everyday circumstances. They got issues, they got problems. But at the end of the day, there's always a path to redemption. And this morning, whatever you may have walked in with, and I, and I know this is not necessarily preaching, but whatever you may be facing, whatever you may have done in your past, whatever it may look like, if David can get up and say, okay, God, I've offended, and now I have guilt, and I've struggled with everything else, I can say, God, create in me a clean heart. Okay, In my personal prayer life, I pray that daily. God, create in me. God, don't cast me away from your presence, but God, let me do what you want me to do. Okay, See, God hates sin. But God loves the sinner. Satan loves sin, but he hates the sinner. See, the guilt we feel before we repent is called conviction. Not all guilt is bad. See, we should feel some remorse when we do something wrong. There should be, if we're living the way we need to with the Holy Ghost inside of us, there should be some kind of checks. There should be some kind of balance. There should be something to say, okay, I did wrong, but God, how can I, how can I go about to fix this? But the guilt we feel after we repent is called condemnation, and that is not from God. So how do we receive forgiveness from others? See, forgiveness from God, that's the easy part, right? We can go to God, God, I'm sorry, he's faithful and just to forgive. But what do we do about with one another? See, that's where it kind of the rubber meets the road, right? Well, the first part, how do we receive, is number one is Determine if you actually need to ask for forgiveness. Now, when I read that, that, well, that almost just kind of sounds contrary because, well, shouldn't we say we're sorry about everything? Well, that's not really the case. Because at the end of the day, life is life. Things go wrong, right? And we all have to be, and, and maybe, maybe this is just my stance, and I, and I can be corrected, but we all have to come to a spiritual maturity where we can't get offended about everything, the Bible says, let nothing offend you, right? So we have to be aware, okay, people have bad days. That does not make them a bad person. Leaders, students, whatever it may be, they may walk in and may have a terrible ad. I may walk in, and you may say, well, what in, the wrong, what in the world is wrong with Brother Clay? You know, why didn't he shake my hand? You know, why did he just kind of rush past me? And, you know, maybe I should have been a little bit more conscious. But we all have to come to the spiritual maturity to realize, okay, somebody may mess up, but that does not make them a bad leader. That does not make them a bad student. Listen, if God wrote me off every time I did something wrong or wrote any of us off, none of us would be here. Amen. But we also have to understand that not everything is worth asking forgiveness of. See, all of us have thoughts. All of us have motives that are not pure at times. But if we all, if, if we went around all the time, you know, Cameron, I never wanted to do this to you, but let's just say I did. If I came up and said, Cameron, I wanted to hit you in the face yesterday. And I, I just, well, but I didn't do it. I just caused strife that was unnecessary, right? Now, obviously, if you feel convicted, right? And I'm, you, you got to let the spirit kind of handle some of that. If you feel convicted to go apologize over something you didn't do or something moves, there has to be some kind of leniency, but you ought to be smart enough to not say everything you know, right? Because Ephesians 4 and 29 says, say the right thing at the right time and help others by what you say. So my motives, well, it shouldn't be, well, Cameron, I feel like I should have done this just to bring out whatever you did, but no, it should be to edify it should be to uplift. And sometimes if that can't be done, well, 
you're better off not saying anything at times. So you got to have the wisdom to understand, okay, when is it appropriate for me to go to apologize? And obviously, we should let the Holy Ghost kind of govern, and we should lean more to the, air, you know, the, uh, the side of caution. I think we all understand that. But number two, and this is so very vital, your circle of confession should be no larger than your circle of offense. Now, that's powerful, okay? Because if you offended one individual, obviously you should go to them and you should make amends. You should make it right. Now, if you feel like it's appropriate, sometimes it is appropriate in certain situations to involve a pastor or some kind of spiritual oversight. I understand that. But one of the worst things you can do is you can go up to somebody or you know you, need, you, you, you know you need to go apologize to somebody and you go around to their group of friends and you say, hey, you know, I, I did this. I did that. Or I messed up here. I did this. And me and him really have issues. Well, you got to be careful because sometimes that makes it look like, well, are, are you the victim or are you really want to apologize? Right? Sometimes, and I don't know if we do it subconsciously, and again, maybe I'm just speaking to me, sometimes in an effort, we over-explain ourselves. And we over-exert ourselves when something should just be handled between one person and the other. And if we're not careful, sometimes we unload spiritual garbage upon one another. Right? Not everybody has to know what I did wrong. And that's not only to keep yourself intact, that's not, that's not only to keep your self-confidence, your self-pride, but that's to keep them right? Because at the end of the day, you don't know who looks up to you. You don't know who your role models are in life. And if I, you know, and if, if, if I am a role model or if somebody else is, if you go and you start talking about all the things you did wrong, well, you're going to damage their perception of you. Now, we all know that we're flawed. I'm not saying you got to have a perfect demeanor. I'm not saying you got to live holier than now, but why would you put something in somebody's mind if it's not completely necessary? But instead, it would mean more to me, the person I offended, or vice versa, if you just went up and say, hey, I know we've had an issue. We have not spoken about it with anybody else. I don't want to damage, I, I, I don't want pride, I don't want gossip, I don't want anything else, but I want this between you and me. For James 5 and 16 says, confess your sins to each other, not to a group, not to the whole assembly, but to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because at the end of the day, it's, a, it's about a heal. When there's an offense, there's a fracture, there's something, that, that, there's something that's happened. The very root of it, the very gesture of it, the very core of it, there has to be healing between me and that person. For the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. What is that saying? That's saying as long as we take care of business with one another, as long as we do it professionally and, and modestly and we do it and we keep it between one another, well, that's going to have wonderful results. Healing's going to occur. But it's in the process of not fracturing other people. Okay, number three, and this is self-explanatory, but we often struggle with it at times. Sincerely, someone say sincerely, ask for the other person's forgiveness. Now, that word, since Brother Price has also said something to me over the course of a couple of years, you cannot fake sincerity. People know when you're being fake, Right? Now, maybe, and I'm going to use me and Anna as an example, and I'm going to be the bad guy because she's perfect, right? That, that, that's being me being sincere. But there are times when we get in an argument, and I go up to her, and I say, well, babe, well, first of all, I say, are you going to be mad the rest of the day? You know? <laughs> is, is this really that worth being that upset about? I'll see you next week, <laughs> you know? 
but I go up, and in an effort to alleviate some of that time process, I'm like, well, babe, I'm, I'm just sorry. You're right. Well, she knows I'm not being sincere. She's wrong, you know? Is that the right way to do it? Well, obviously not. The guy's always wrong, right? See, but many people confuse seeking forgiveness with making an apology. An apology is one-sided. It admits guilt and expresses remorse due to an offense you have committed, but it doesn't ask for anything. There is a difference in just going up and saying, hey, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm saying I've wronged you. But there's another difference entirely, even though you may not word your words completely like this, saying, will you forgive me? Right? There's a difference there. It's a sincerity. Most of us carry, you know, at, at the end of the day, we all carry problems. We all carry issues. We all carry struggles, whatever else it may be, trials, circumstances. But there has to be a sincere cry. You know, I'm so thankful that in my walk with God, and this is something I have to, that I really have to work on because by nature I'm a skeptical sarcastic person, but I never have to worry, God, are you being sarcastic with me? Are you playing with my feelings? You know, are you just coming here and just, you know, just kind of being here today, gone tomorrow, and just moving on? No, you know, sincerity is a continual effort to make things better. It's not just dropping off an apology saying, hey, I'll see you next week and moving on. Well, no, it's a sincere effort. Okay, whatever I did wrong, what can I do in the future to improve that? Okay, you don't like how I communicate. And this, this is not, this could be applied to church. It could be applied to a youth group. It could be applied to our work relationships. It's no, okay, what do I need to do to fix this? You know, the Bible talks about being a mirror of self-reflection. Okay, God, how do I line myself up to be like you? Because at the end of the day, this is all about being Christ-like. At the end of the day, I want to be like him. Okay, I want to love like he did. I want to forgive like he did. And when the Lord went up to people and he wanted to fix things, it was not just, okay, hey, I'm going to heal you now, but tomorrow you're going to be sick again. No, he said, I'm going to heal you. Your faith has made you whole, and you're going to go on. You're going to live your life. Right? I want to make a continual effort to whoever I come in contact with. Okay, I've offended you. How do we make that better? How does Clay improve? Now, can I control what they do? Obviously not, but I can control what this guy does. They may mess up. Okay, that's fine. I'm going to do what I can to make it better. I want to be sincere in my efforts to forgive. Okay? The Bible calls, you know, the Bible says, vengeance is my, saith the Lord. Right? The Bible says that, you know, and I've always read that as, okay, the Lord has a spiritual sledgehammer, and the Lord is really going to drop it on them. You know, that, I mean, Brother Charlie, if we're going to be honest, that's, that's, that's honestly how we quote that verse. Well, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Okay, that means the Lord's going to come get you, or God's going to drop the hammer, right? But I was reading this, and I feel like the Lord convicted me, quite honestly. And vengeance is his, because oftentimes he's going to be more merciful than me. And thank God for that. Thank God that God is more merciful, that God is more kind than me, because we would all be in trouble, right? But thank God through his infinite wisdom, his grace, his love, and his mercy, that God has patience with people, right? Because what happens when we hold on to vengeance, stuff that we're not supposed to? Well, eventually that vengeance becomes bitterness, right? And what does bitterness do? Well, bitterness gets inside each of us. And I'm sure all of us has dealt with that at times. But Hebrews 12 and 15 says, Look after each other so that none of you will miss out on the special favor of God. Watch out that no bitter root of unbelief rises among you, for whenever it springs up, many are corrupted by its poison. Okay, so, so, so we have to be careful of that when we ask, okay? 
Number four, it says, be prepared for a negative response. Okay, not every attempt at rec- reconciliation or in, in forgiveness results in a happy ending. There are some times when you go to a person and you sincerely apologize, you're sincere, you're trying to make things right, and it's not going to be well received. Well, what we have to do in those situations is, first of all, you don't know what people are going through. And the older I get, the more I understand that. You don't know what people are facing. You don't know what kind of week they've had. You don't know what kind of day they've had. Maybe they, maybe they didn't sense us being truly remorseful. May, they may feel guilty themselves. You know, sometimes it, when somebody forgives me and maybe I lash out, well, maybe it's because I, I, I carry a lot of guilt inside, right? Maybe we, they, they, they may fear that you're going to repeat the offense. They may want to reestablish the relationship if something's been great, you know, offended that, that much. But at the end of the day, you have to remember that, okay, God, me trying to give forgiveness, right, me, me trying to make amends, if, the, if they don't take it, and God forbid I want them to take it, that's on them. The ball's in their court. But Acts 24 and 16 says, because of this, I will try to maintain a clear conscience before God and everyone else. 1 John 3, 19 says, when we love others, we know that we belong to the truth and we feel at ease in the presence of God. We feel at peace. We feel some, you know, there, the times that I've been the most stressed out in my life is when I felt like I, felt I, I had an odd with somebody, especially in the church. Because there's, there's, there's chaos in that. You don't know where you stand with people. There's something that gets in your spirit. You worry. You think, well, oh, you know, have, have I offended them? Have I just done some great problems, some great trial. And once you go make it right, and maybe, and, and I'm sure if I were to go around this room, we, we could all understand this, but there's a certain peace that happens there, right? There's a certain, wh- whether that situation unfolded the way you thought it needed to or not, there's a certain peace knowing you did what you could do. So that's how to receive forgiveness. And I'm running close on time, so I'll make sure to kind of go fast for this next part. But that's how to receive forgiveness. But how do you give it? Because I'm sure we're all good at receiving. But how do we receive? Or, I'm sorry, I got. But, but how do we give it? See, true forgiveness resists unnecessary embarrassment. So when you give forgiveness after you got done receiving, when you give it, you know. I never want to shame somebody in what they did. Because it's easy at times, you know, somebody comes up and they say, you're sorry, and you're like, well, I appreciate that, but this. I accept that, but that. You know, well, okay. You know, but I've already went and told five other people what you did. So, yeah, I, I, I understand that, but we're going we're gonna to embarrass you about it. Genesis 45 and 1, this is when Joseph met for his brothers. He said, since Joseph could no longer control his feelings in front of his servants. He sent them out of the room when he was alone with his brothers, and he told them, I and Joseph, it's when he revealed. So notice, when Joseph came to the point where he couldn't control that his feelings, he knew that he was going to do something. And, and I think we all, we, we all ought to have a spiritual gauge on ourselves to know, okay, clay's getting out of touch. No one knows you better than yourself. No one knows where the clay better than myself. I know when clay's out of line. I know when Clay is not right in his spirit, and I know when my feelings are going to become too much for me. And so at times like that, you have to back up and you say, you know what? 
I'm going to remove myself from this situation to save whatever, to save collateral damage. And I'm just going to accept this forgiveness. I'm going to move on with my life, right? Does that make sense? True forgiveness relieves people of unhealthy sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7.10, for, for godly grief and the pain of God is permitted to direct, produce repentance that leads and contributes to salvation and deliverance from evil. And it never brings regret, but worldly grief. The hopeless sorrow that is the characteristic of the pagan world is deadly. Say, if we truly forgive someone, if we truly receive it, we don't desire them to squirm in their misery forever because that is not in their best interest. I always, yes, you got you to gotta self-preserve. You got to take care of your family. But at the end of the day, I have to have my brother's best interest at heart. What's best for him? What's best for his family? What's best for their trial, their situation? For, 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 for Genesis 45 and 5 says, Don't worry or blame yourselves for what you did, for God is the one who sent me ahead to save lives. So, you're, so, so what it's saying there, Joseph, he's trying to flip the situation. He's saying, okay, there was some wrong offense that occurred, but we can move on from this together, right? Okay, there was sorrow here. Yeah, there's a godly amount of sorrow in, in leading us, right? Conviction. But then after that, let's pick up and let's move on. He's saying, okay, well, don't, don't blame yourself, but God is the one who orchestrated all this. Now, do I believe that God orchestrates every bad situation? You know, somebody has a bad attitude? No, that's not the will of God for somebody to hurt you. But you can pick up afterwards and say, okay, you messed up. You did wrong. Let's pick up and let's move from this together. Because if we were to get honest, I probably wasn't exactly what I needed to be either. Right? So we're saving embarrassment. That's how we receive it. We're, I, we're, we're trying to alleviate people from sorrow. But the third one is true forgiveness continually releases our offender from their obligation to us. See, and I found this so powerful because when I receive forgiveness from somebody, when somebody has wronged me, it's easy to keep them on a leash saying, you owe me for this because you did this. You know, that person in the church, hey, you said that that one time, so we got to make amends continually through this. No, 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 no. It says, I got to release them from this. From Genesis 50 and 19 says, But Joseph told them, Don't be afraid of me. Am I God to judge and punish you? So if you want to say, Is Brother Clay God? Am I here to punish you? Am I here to judge you? As far as I'm concerned, God turns good into what you meant for evil. He brought me into a high position I have today so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. Indeed, I myself will take care of you and your families. And he spoke very kindly to them, reassuring them. So he not only releases them from any obligation, but he says, you know what, I'm going to take care of you. You know, it's my job in whatever assembly you're part of, in whatever capacity, whether you're in leadership, saying whatever it may be, it's our job to carry one another, regardless of what they've done. We have to come to that point spiritually saying, okay, I'm not going to keep a task list. I'm not going to say you did this, you did that, you did that. No, instead I'm instead of all that, I'm going to pick you up and we're going to try to move on together, right? So I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to keep putting sorrow over your head. But number three, I'm going to continually show you the goodness of God because at the end of the day, it's about being Christ-like. God forgives me daily. God carries me daily. So God, if I'm going to do what you want me to do. If I'm going to be like you in every single way, God, I am going to carry people like you carried me. See, forgiveness isn't a one-time action of the heart, but it's a continual choice of will. Forgiveness is surrendering the right to hurt for you just because you hurt me. 
See, settle it. See, and very at the conclusion of the matter, and I'm really about to close. We have to settle it in our heart that forgiveness is a lifestyle. Whether we give it, whether we receive it, at the end of the day, I just want to be like him. You know, at the end of the day, that's that's really why we're all here this morning. I want to love like he did. I want to forgive like he did. I want to treat people like he did. And at the end of the day, if I were to get real honest with myself, I whatever whatever I. I want somebody to treat me in the ways that I taught about this morning. I, I don't want to be embarrassed, right? I want to have mercy. I don't want them to hold stuff over my head. I want them to give me every opportunity. I want them to acknowledge that I'm going to have bad days. But really, it's all about forgiveness. It's all about forgiveness. I closed at 1036. I, said, I think you said 1040, so we're at four minutes. So that wraps up today. Thank you so much.